Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke and chapter 15. Be reading the entirety of the chapter because of the connectedness of the various aspects of this chapter. But let's give our attention to Luke 15, reading verses 1 through 32. Hear now the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost and is found. Thus far, reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, we come and freely confess that the very truths contained in your word are often above us and surpass us. So we ask a special mercy this Lord's day that you would open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to receive, to see, to glory in the good things of our God. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the chapter before us this morning, in it our Lord gives us three separate parables, three different parables, and yet each of them are designed to emphasize the same point. And therefore, we are going to be looking at all three of these parables in one setting. Because of that, there are going to be some elements, some details that we simply will not have time to develop fully. But we are going to focus our attention on three particulars, three focal points that are repeated in each parable. So the same truths repeated three times for us to be sure we understand them. Take note of the fact that in each parable, something is lost. And in each parable, something is found. And in each parable, there is excessive, abundant joy because of the finding. Of what was lost. You might also find it helpful to take note of the, the movement, the transition from parable to parable, especially in the, in the value of what is lost and what is found. So in the first parable, we have a man with a hundred sheep, one is missing. One percent, one out of a hundred. But in the second parable, we have a woman with 10 coins. So now we're at 10%. One out of 10 is missing. And in the last parable, we have a man with two sons. 
Now we're at 50%. One out of two is lost, needing to be found. Now that suggests to us, I believe, that is this third parable in particular that is the most poignant part of the lesson that our Lord is trying to teach in all three of these parables. Now this third parable has received a great deal of variety in interpreting what the the main point is. Most frequently, we, we read this parable as being described the parable of the prodigal son. But there are those who think this is not even about the prodigal son. They think the whole thing's been misnamed and mischaracterized. This is the parable of the elder brother. This is the elder brother who who is grumbling like the Pharisees were grumbling in Jesus' day. The elder brother represents those Pharisees who resisted the grace of God, especially that grace being declared and proclaimed to wicked sinners. So Jesus gives this parable. Is it the parable of the prodigal son? Is it the parable of the elder brother? Still others say it's, it's neither. It's the parable of the watching father who's there waiting, who's, who's been praying and who's now watching for the day when his son would return and it happens and this is all about the father and the, the great grace and blessing that the father pours out upon his returning son. Now, my friends, I think all of those are significant elements. But what I see here is a trifecta of joy, a triple series of events that all describe the joy that comes when even one sinner repents and comes to God through Jesus Christ. That is what all of this is about, as far as I can tell. This this passage oozes with joy at what happens when sinners turn and come to God. So we're going to look at three particulars, the urgency of being lost, the necessity of being found and the enormity of being loved. Children, do you know what something is that's enormous? It's like really big. It's like bigger than you can imagine. And when we get to this third section, we're going to see that the fact that God loves us and has so before the foundation of the world is enormous. It's bigger, bigger than any love you could possibly imagine. But I get ahead of myself. So let's back up to the urgency of being lost. To help us grasp the gravity of this lost condition, we need to look closely at each of these parables. And the first example, Jesus 
is speaking of a situation that every single one of his hearers would have immediately understood perfectly. Which of you, he says, if you had a hundred sheep and one of those sheep is missing, what would he do? They knew exactly what every good shepherd would do. Now for us, living in the present day, 21st century America, technologically advanced and a lot of other things, we might not get the picture unless you've had that rare, unique experience of keeping sheep. If you have done that, a lot of imagery throughout the scriptures comes to life. You think of the, the psalmist in Psalm 23 when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He feeds me. He gives me water. He protects me from the enemies that I have. All of that comes crystal clear when you understand the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. Or perhaps think of the whole idea of forgiveness. And how Isaiah says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or in the book of Revelation, the whole concept of redemption. That we praise the Son of God saying, you are worthy, O Lamb of God. Or what John the Baptist said to, to his followers, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In this particular case, the problem is this. Sheep, if you know anything about sheep, you probably know sheep are not well known for a high degree of intelligence. What they are known for is their proneness to wander. Sheep will, if he gets out of the fence, is going to wander and he's going to keep going and keep going. And sheep are particularly adept at getting lost. So the question that Jesus is proposing is what would you do? You're the shepherd. You've got a hundred sheep. One at evening is missing. What are you going to do about it? Well, I think to many of us, being prone to pragmatism and what works, might say, well, it's only one. I mean, one out of a hundred, that's not too bad. So why don't you just forget about it? Well, any good shepherd cares for every single one of his sheep. And God cares for every single one of his sheep. You might be tempted to say, well, how about we just wait till morning? Maybe he will find his own way back. 
Well, again, anybody who has ever kept sheep knows that will never, ever happen. Never. Because a sheep just keeps going farther and farther and farther away. He keeps wandering until he falls into a pit or he meets with wolves or dogs and he will most certainly be killed unless someone goes out on the mountainside and searches for the sheep that's lost. My friends, there's an urgency here. We could say this is a life and death matter. This is not something. One out of a hundred's not bad. No, this is life and death. And the shepherd goes to look for his sheep. The second example Jesus gives is, is a little bit less forceful, but still quite meaningful. He speaks of a lost coin. In the first example, we, we think, well, it's not that bad. In this example, we might say, oh, okay, so she lost a quarter. I mean, what's the big deal? Is it really worth all the effort, all the energy that he's talking about here? So think of it this way. You've made your weekly trip to Aldi. You've bought your groceries, you've wheeled them out to the car, you've loaded them in the car, and then very dutifully, you push that cart all the way back into the store and into the rack, and you make sure you put the little thingy in there and get your quarter back. So you put your quarter in your pocket, and you get home, and you unload your groceries, and you go in, and you begin to empty your pockets, and you, you're feeling, and what? I know I put that quarter in my pocket. It's not there. Would you worry about that? Would the loss of that quarter keep you awake at night? Would you go get a flashlight and start looking through underneath the seat of the car? Would you, would you go to the trouble to look for that small coin? Jesus doesn't mention the value of the particular coin in view, but given the effort expended by the woman to find it, it more than likely was either the the, uh, Greek drachma or the Roman denarius. At the very least, my friends, this was a day's wages for a skilled laborer. Two days' wages for an unskilled laborer. It was significant. It was worth the energy. It was worth the effort to look, to search, to shine the light in the darkness and find the lost coin. But as I said, it's the third example that Jesus uses where we feel the full weight of the urgency, where we feel the weight of our Savior's words here. Because in this parable, we begin to understand it's there in the others, but in this parable, there is no doubt that the lostness that Jesus is describing 
is not the lostness of an animal. It's not the lostness of a piece of money. It's the lostness of a man's soul. And that makes this urgent. This man had two sons. One of them has left home. And not just that, he has forsaken the ways of God that he has been taught as a child. He has turned from righteousness and he has begun to live a prodigal life. That is, he is living a sinful life. A life that is consumed with sinful pleasures and and love for, for money and love for pleasure and love for comfort. A love of this world and no longer a love for the kingdom of God. That lifestyle, of course, usually leads at one time or another to a life of desperate and destitute conditions. And so this man finds himself homeless and hungry and not a single one of those friends he had when he had money are still around. No one gave him anything. He is destitute. My friends, there are few things that can equal the kind of pain that a wayward child brings to a godly parent. Very few things. To be there in that condition is hard. But to sit and watch it happen to someone that you love, one of your own, that, my friends, is far harder. And this father has to watch his son reach this desperate condition And this is not just some hypothetical situation that Jesus is telling some story that's innocuous, that has no real bearing upon life. Brothers and sisters, this prodigal son represents every single person who's caught in the grip and in the power of a sinful life. A life without God, a life in rebellion to God, a life of of wasteful spending his money, a life of immorality and all kinds of iniquity. But if you really want to feel the seriousness, the urgency of this these parables, you need to look at verses twenty four. And again at verse 32, when the father is is telling the reason for, for the celebration in verse 24, he says, this my son was dead, not just lost, not just missing for a short while. He was as a dead man. 
to God. But now, now he's found. He was lost. Now he's found. He was dead. And now he is alive. He repeats those very words in verse 32. You remember that the Apostle Paul uses very similar language. We looked at some of those words this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. But in Ephesians 2, in verse 1, Paul begins by saying, You, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He was dead in trespasses and sins. And Paul goes on to describe in verses 11 and following that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is describing the deadness. But then he comes in in verse 19 that we read earlier in our call to worship. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are part of the communion of the saints You are part of the household of God. You were dead, but now you are made alive. My friends, each one of these parables points us in the same direction. It shows us that all those who have not been made alive by the regenerating work of the Spirit of God in their hearts. Every single person who has not been made alive by God is lost. They're spiritually dead. And they're totally, completely helpless to change their own condition. Well, that's the urgency of being lost. Thankfully, the passage does not end there. But it goes on to show us the necessity of being found. Now, really, this point needs little explanation because each parable, it shows us, it shows us plainly that there is a desperate need for someone to help the lost Come home, as it were, to God. Someone needs to go to them. Someone needs to find them. The shepherd goes in search until he finds the lost sheep. The woman begins to search. She turns the house upside down until she finds the lost coin. Now, these are very obvious lessons. We need to go. We need to find the lost. We need to bring them to God. But don't fail to make the connection. Why did Jesus give these three parables in the first place? Look back at verses 1 through 3. Tax collectors, sinners, wicked people drew near to hear him. To listen to his preaching. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. They grumbled. And they said, this man 
This prophet from Galilee, he receives sinners into his presence. He even sits down and eats with them. So do you understand why Jesus is giving these parables? It's because the religious people of the day did not care about the lost. Especially those sinners, those tax collectors. Good riddance. Keep them out of the church is what they would say. Jesus tells these parables to say they are worth it. And we need to seek them out. These Pharisees did not care about helping them. They did not care and did not think they were worth the time or the trouble. So that's the real setting of these parables. Now, that brings us to a serious question. The religious people didn't care. They weren't interested in helping to seek or to save the lost. But the question is, do we? Do we care about seeking those that are lost? Maybe we think, well, just that's not really my thing. Maybe they'll find their own way home. My friends, they will not find their way to God. They are lost. They are dead. They are in danger. And they are helpless. You, brothers and sisters, must go find them. You must go and show them by your life and by your actions and by your words that you care about their souls and that you want to help them. It is going to demand a sacrifice of your time, of your comfort, perhaps of your money. But you need to diligently seek them and tell them of their need of Christ and of the grace of God to those that will turn from their sin and put their trust in Christ. We need to show them that we care. And if need be, you are going to have to help them out of the mire and the mud that they are in. Seminary, we had a professor who spent a lot of time in Uganda. And he told us of of a situation in a village where he had been preaching and teaching the gospel. And they, they didn't have indoor plumbing like we have. So you can imagine what an outhouse would be like, a little tiny little hut with a deep hole underneath. And he told the story of a a young boy who went into the outhouse and all of a sudden the whole village was hearing him screaming and crying out. And they rushed to see what had happened. Well, the seat had collapsed 
And the little boy, boy had fallen down into that raw sewage. And he was screaming for someone to help. But nobody wanted to go near. They didn't even want to stretch out a hand to take hold of him and help him out until one man came. And he took off his clean garments and he climbed down into that pit of raw sewage and took hold of that boy and lifted him out so that he could be safe and secure once again. My friends, you remember what Paul says about the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2? That this Lord of glory made himself of no reputation, veiled his glory, veiled his power, veiled the wonders of his being, and took on the form of a slave that he might redeem us. My friends, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to get your hands dirty if need be to help those that are lost? Now, I trust that you are, but you need to remember this, that this work Finding the lost and bringing them home to God is beyond your ability. Can you raise the dead? Can you open blind eyes? Can you give life to one and change his heart? My friends, only God can do that. And that means everything you do, do it with all your might for the glory of God. But do it in prayer. Bathe it. Clothe it in prayer. Asking God to make your efforts effectual in the changing of the hearts of these. Now, think about this prodigal son. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, we read that he came to himself. And he, he thinks about his father's servants and, and he realizes he needs to go and he needs to confess his sin. Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And I'm not worthy. He humbles himself in the dust. And he said, make me like one of your hired servants. Don't even regard me as your son. Just make me a hired servant. He is humbled. He confesses his sin. He comes to his father. How did that happen? Do you think he who was dead could make himself alive? Do you think that he who was blind for years could now give himself sight to see, to understand these things? No, my friends, it is God who does that. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Passive tense. This is something God has to do to you. 
Again, Jesus says in, in John 6, no man can come to me. He can't do it unless the Father draws him. God is the one. You might plant the seed. You might water it. But it's God, brethren, that will give the increase. It is God who must work. And we must pray. And we must prepare. And we must be ready and willing to sacrifice. But we do it all with our eyes on the mighty hand of God. And plead every day. Lord, make me a vessel that's useful. In the hand of my master. Well, let's look lastly at the enormity of being loved. In just a few moments, we're going to sing Newton's tremendous hymn, Amazing Grace. We're going to sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And brethren, that is amazing. That one who is lost can be found. But I want you to stop right now and think about just how amazing that is. Think about where you used to be. For many of us, that's not a pretty picture. Think about where you are now. You used to be without Christ. You used to be strangers and aliens and and foreigners, but not now. You used to be without hope, but not now. You used to be without God in this world, but not now. And do you realize What an amazing, what an enormous display of God's love and favor he has bestowed upon us. I want you to think especially about an element that I don't hear much about. Usually when we talk about going and finding the lost and and trying to to bear a faithful witness to them, one of the chief motivations is, I don't want you to spend eternity in hell. I don't want you to suffer, to bear the judgment and wrath of God. And brethren, don't get me wrong. That's a motivating factor. Do you hear what Jesus is telling us here? About the joy that sinners repenting brings to God. It's our Father's joy when these things happen. You see what he says in verse 7. The shepherd goes and finds his sheep. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than this shepherd had. He says the same thing in verse 10 about the woman finding her coin. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
But then, brothers and sisters, Jesus opens the floodgates when he shows us the love and the joy that comes from this father when he sees, even at a great distance yet, his son coming home. And that father is filled with joy. He's filled with compassion. He runs. He embraces his son. And he kisses him. The son begins to blurt out his rehearsed response. Father, I'm not worthy. The father said, none of that. The father is so glad. He is so full of joy to see his son come home. To humble himself, to repent of his sin, and to draw near to his father. And he says, quick, quick, bring, bring the best robe in the house and put it on it. Bring the signet ring, the family heirloom, put it on his hand. Bring sandals for his feet and we are going to have a celebration like no other. The fatted calf that we've waited and waited and waited. Kill it and let's celebrate. And he celebrates with singing and dancing. My friends, words simply fail to give us a more vivid picture of the magnitude of the mercy and of the goodness and of the blessing that God pours out upon every sinner who repents and comes to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We simply can't describe it. Like the psalmist in 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, every fiber of my being, bless the Lord. Why? Because he forgives all our iniquities. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He even satisfies your mouth with good things to eat to renew your strength. Friends, do you see the picture? God gives and gives and gives and gives some more. There is no measure to the enormity of his grace and love that he bestows upon those who come to him in faith. Now, I would love to end there, but there's one more thing we need to see. What about that elder brother? What's the lesson there? You know, the elder brother comes, he hears the, the singing, he hears the dancing, he hears the music. What's going on? Well, your, your younger brother has come back and your father's holding a great celebration. Isn't it good news? And he scowls and he will not go in. Even when his father comes out and pleads with him, son, your, your brother who was lost, who was dead, is alive. We ought to celebrate that. 
But this elder brother finds no joy in the salvation of sinners. He finds no delight, even though he lived in the father's house, even though the father said, everything I have is yours. It's all there anytime you want it. But he could not enjoy it. Do you know why? Because he thought it was up to him. He needed to earn it by his obedience. He needed to be faithful. He needed to dot his I's and cross his T's. He needed to do everything right. And in his thinking, because he had done that, he thought he deserved the Father's blessing. My friends, if we learn anything here, it's this. Nothing. Nothing will destroy your spiritual life and joy faster than trusting in your own works to make you acceptable to the Father. And turn that over because nothing will bring down the avalanche of God's favor and love and blessing quicker than humbling yourself, confessing your sin, and crying out to God, I don't deserve it, but have mercy upon me, a sinner. And he will welcome you with open arms. My friends, if you have not done that, if you have not humbled yourself, if you have not confessed your sin, if you have not come to God and pleaded for mercy, do it now. Do it now. And he will welcome you. If you have, then brothers and sisters, young people, revel. Revel and rejoice in all that God has given us, the riches of his grace, the fullness of his blessing, unmeasured love and affection that he gives to those who come to him and cry, have mercy upon me. Rejoice. Sing praises today for all that we have, the enormity of God's grace when we are loved by him. Let's pray together. Father, what language can we borrow to thank you, to praise you, to bring you glory? You are the God of gods and Lord of lords. But you are a heavenly father who calls all men to come and to receive the joys and the blessings of the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, help us to grasp the magnitude of your grace to us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a few moments and revel.
in what God has done for us in Christ.